0: The football we are fixing the New York Giants and that is a tall order with seven draft picks <laughs> and 66 million dollars in cap we're going to break that down uh, also going to answer your draft on draft questions look at a little stock watch from LSU Alabama a game that we were in Tuscaloosa for at least but Connor welcome back to our beautiful studios it feels good to be home I'm not gonna lie the trip to Alabama was a long one And we are back on the road in two weeks. Stanford, Cal, we have a great location set up. We'll be with the tailgate guys again, so everyone come out to that. Um, I think it will be more of like a community-style feel than Alabama was if you happen to come by that one. So we're going to do our best to set it up with, you know, some cornhole, a lot of games, food, drinks, like always. Some of our BR friends will be coming down. And then we have big, big news that happened while we were on the road to Tuscaloosa. Uh, We are partnering with Johnsonville, who makes the best brats in the world. That's not a plug, like, actually, Believe this, and we'll be at the SEC championship game. Me, you, Mello, tailgating right outside Mercedes-Benz Stadium with Johnsonville. They're doing their tailgate throwdown. There's like cooking competitions, a cornhole competition. It's just going to be amazing, and we will be there hosting it all. So everybody should come
1: check that out. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Sean Alexander is going to be there. I mean, it's going to be a really Alabama good- won't be, but Sean yeah. Alexander will. <laughs> it's funny how that works. Sorry, but it's <laughs> going to be an awesome time. So just when you think the tailgate tour is over, boom. We are back for one lap. Maybe, maybe we'll just keep going. I don't know at this point. I was going to say, I wouldn't say,
0: it. I, I'm not ever going to announce I a tailgate Tour is over. Because, you know, the Senior Bowl is at the end of January. I wouldn't be shocked if we end up two places between now and then. But we will be at the Senior Bowl. We will be at the Super Bowl. We yes. had someone tweet us this week, like, when are you guys coming to, to the South? Um, we'll be in Miami for the Super Bowl, Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. So if you're, you're closer to those places, get a chance to come hang out with us. But let's jump into the news, my man. As we were sitting here Tuesday morning, waiting to record, Adam Schefter tweets that Vernon Hargraves has been cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was the number 11 pick in the 2016 NFL Draft. Coming out of Florida, a player that I really liked. Um, I had him as the number two corner in that class, only behind Jalen Ramsey. So a big Vernon Hargraves fan. This was during a time, something you and I talked about before the show today. When it looked like Florida was DBU, I had Vernon Hargreaves number 10 overall in that class, loved his technique. He was a little bit small, but he was he was feisty, good technique, looked fluid. And he got benched on Sunday. They've really kind of said that, hey, it's like a work ethic thing. It's just not there for him. So Hargraves uh, now subject to waivers. We'll see. Uh, Probably we'll let you know on the Friday show what we think of if he gets picked up. But he's owed $9 million. So I actually don't know if he'll get picked up on waivers or if this is a dude that will clear waivers and then be a free agent to sign anywhere he wants.
1: Yeah, I think it'll be the latter because of that money owed to Hargraves. And I know there's a lot of teams in dire situations at cornerback. I mean, two of them just played each other this weekend with the Jets and the Giants. The Bucks were one, so the fact that the Bucs are letting somebody go from their secondary tells you where Vernon Hargrave's level of play has been at. Listen, Matt, you know, he's not even come close to living up to expectations, and I think no. there was times where the size was a concern, but you felt like he was a guy that can mirror and match with good athleticism, and he really hasn't done that. And, and forget whether it's he's been hurt or he, he needed to move inside to the slot, the lack of hustle. To be benched is a gigantic concern. Bruce Arians is not going to stand for that. Todd Bowles is not going to stand for that. I think when you look at Hargraves, there's just no way around it. He's been a gigantic disappointment. And this brings on a bigger conversation that is draft-centric is, why are Florida corners not translating to the NFL right now? In this times of arguing who DBU is, Washington puts out great corners, and they've had their fair struggles in the NFL as well, whether it is Sidney Jones, Kevin King, guys like that. Obviously, LSU has a lot of good—and it also goes back to safeties because someone like Marcus May has had a really good NFL career so far besides the injuries. Brian Poole, the corner that nobody ever talks about from Florida, has been one of the better slot guys in the league for atlanta yeah, as for, an undrafted, an undrafted free agent guy too. he developed in atlanta yeah. for a couple of years he's been solid for the jets even though their group's been miserable but tees taper uh, you know quincy wilson uh, vernon hargraves i don't understand and now we're gonna have a guy in this draft and cj henderson that's going to be very very well liked how do we take this matt when we have a what's clearly something going on from the same university at the same position
0: yeah, and it's it's in that time span, like 2016, 2017, is really when you look at it, and you're like, what what happened here? And I think you know we always say, Scott the scout the player, not the helmet, and that always. is like the overarching theme. Everyone in a bubble, evaluate that guy, and then move on. But I think you can look at it and say, and I'll I'll make this a little personal. As a Texas fan, when I got this job, I went through this like this learning process of why aren't Texas players highly valued? And you would start asking around and you would hear like, oh, they're coddled, they're soft, they don't know how to work, there's a sense of entitlement. And so Mac Brown was a great college head coach and he was winning a lot of ballgames, but his guys weren't really ready for the NFL because there's kind of that like Grandpa Mac feeling around the program. I don't know if it was something similar to that with Florida during that time span where, you know, maybe there wasn't great accountability. Maybe because these guys were top-rated recruits and because they were good players, you know, you just kind of uh, dismiss it almost. Like, oh, let the DBs be DBs, but you're right. It it is tough because that 2017-2016 class doesn't look great. And even 2018, Duke Dawson was a second-round pick by the Patriots, and they moved him this past offseason. So... There's like a three-year stretch there where they had a lot of highly drafted guys at one position group not perform well in the NFL. So I think how do you look at C.J. Henderson with that? This is where your area scouts are super important because they need to have the connections that will tell the truth. So you can go to Florida and say, all right, what is C.J. Henderson like? What is he – what's his work ethic like? Does he go to class? Does he go to the weight room? You know, is he lazy? you got to find out all the, all the things behind the scenes because I think with – with Tease Tabor, you can chalk it up to some laziness, and I think you can chalk it up with Werner Hargraves to some obvious laziness, and with Quincy Wilson, he said on this very podcast that he had to grow up a little bit when he got to the NFL, so I think that's your concern with Florida guys, where you would start that conversation is, what what is allowing them to be a little bit entitled, a little bit immature, and not ready for the NFL,
1: and that's what you want to find out about CJ. Without a doubt. It's it's going to be very interesting, and like you said, it comes down to the area scouts, and Listen, this is not we 're not hating on the University of florida they 've had a phenomenal season. They have a phenomenal football program, but I mean, Ja'Kai polite, look how quickly he fell out of the NFL you know Chauncey Gardner Johnson fell down the draft for reasons unknown it, it is interesting when you have situations like this, but it, it does come down to a always scout the player uh, over the helmet, moving on here, but staying in the NFL. The Bengals, we talked about the competition for the number one pick being as close as ever. Finally, somebody has a little bit of a lead here as the Bengals continue (laughs) to lose football, continue to remain winless right now, and most importantly, the teams around them actually got some wins. So I think when you look at these mock drafts, the conversation has turned from, well, who's going to be making selection number one to now, who is the number one pick going to be between Joe Burrow and Tua tonga and maybe Chase Young?
0: Yeah, uh, it
1: is. It's fascinating. The Bengals are 0-9. And we've said
0: this a lot on the show. Like the Dolphins are trying to tank, and they've won two ballgames. They're 2-7. and seven. The Bengals weren't trying to tank, or at least we didn't think they were, and they're 0-9. And I think all along we've heard, like, oh, Zach Taylor's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Also, I think the Bengals are just so cheap that they're not going to want to fire a guy and pay out his contract. No but there should be some really hard conversations about this. Uh, as we're recording, they cut Preston Brown, a guy they gave a three-year, $15 million contract to. They need a lot of help there that's not just player focused. Something I said to Mello on the way home from Alabama was, I hope Joe Burrow doesn't go to the Bengals because I think they'll ruin him. And we've been asked this question before like when a player gets drafted by a certain franchise, does it affect your your thinking of them? And with the Bengals it does for me. I don't like if they draft Joe Burrow, I'm going to be sad and disappointed because I love Joe and I want to see him do well in the NFL. We're like the the Dolphins I at least understand what Chris Greer and Brian Flores want to do. I don't agree with it, and I think you can look at Laramie Tunsil and Mika Fitzpatrick are probably going to be all pros, and it's tough to let go of those types of players, but I understand the vision, and I actually believe a little bit in what they're doing. With the Bengals, I have zero belief in this team. To lose nine straight games in the NFL is really, really hard to do, and now you see how they're mismanaging Andy Dalton. One of their key free agents doesn't even last a full season before getting cut. It's just like one thing after another, so I don't think we have to have a conversation about who's going to pick first because I can't imagine Cincinnati winning enough games. I mean, the the Redskins are 1-8 and eight right now. They're really, really bad as well. But I just can't imagine Cincinnati overtaking anyone at this
1: point. No, it, you really can't. And when you look at it right now with Cincinnati, and they were honestly I think the first team we fixed on fixing all of the teams – this was not the intentions of this team. They went out and drafted Jonah Williams in the first round to improve this offensive line. They took Drew Sample because they felt like they needed a blocking tight end where they can run the ball with Joe Mixon. They could develop the kind of offense that Zach Taylor wants. Of course, the injuries don't help, but at the end of the day, this is not a competitive football team. It's not, it it really isn't. I mean, they were embarrassed by Baltimore. Embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed. And, I think when you look at it right now, you have to wonder how do they start building this football team. Now, benching Andy Dalton and taking a look at Ryan Finley is the ultimate signal that they are going to take a quarterback. And I think if you were going between Tua and Burrow for Zach Taylor, I think Tua's injuries will scare a team a little bit like Cincinnati. Don't underestimate the Midwest roots for Joe Burrow. Yeah, who's from Athens, Ohio? Don't yeah, uh, yeah don't. Uh, people in Ohio, and I understand why, love Joe Burrow. This is such an easy sell for the Bengals that it, the conversation has turned to Joe Burrow holding up a Bengals jersey with the first overall pick at the end of April.
0: And I wonder if Justin Herbert gets in the conversation for them because of Zach Taylor. Like if you look at, assuming Gosh. that Zach wants to do exactly what Sean is yeah. doing, I'm not saying no, it should right, happen. No, you're right. You're right though. But he to- he perfectly fits what their offense wants to look like. So I think if it's the Bengals, we have to, it's a three quarterback conversation. I think if it was the Dolphins, you'd probably be like, okay, it's going to be Tua. Like that's the pick. Um, uh, but it is going to be fascinating. We got like four months to go, five months to go and, and the quarterback class is really heating up on the other side of the coin. No teams remain undefeated. The 49ers lost a great game on Monday Night Football. And normally this is where me as a Niners fan would remark like, oh, we're just getting back with both offensive tackles are healthy. We play without George Kittle. Here's what I want to say about Monday Night Football. Russell Wilson should be the MVP of the NFL right it's now. not even close. And the runner-up should be Lamar Jackson. Agreed. And if you want to talk about who's third, that's fine with me, but it's Russell Wilson. <laughs> what he did last night, Tyler Lockett went out, by the way. He got hurt, and it sounds like that could be a, a serious leg injury. So that's terrifying because I love the combination between those two guys. DK Metcalf is like fumbling on the one yard line. Jermaine Afeti is having an aneurysm and, and apparently forgetting what to do when there's a fumble. Like, it's bad. This team around him is actually not good, but he is amazing. Like, he's such a great playmaker. So, normally, I would love to spend. Two minutes ranting about the Niners. I still think the Niners are are one of the best teams in in all football. they got a chance to make a Super Bowl run. But, man, what Russell Wilson is doing on that Seattle team is the most impressive thing I've seen in the NFL all year long.
1: Without a doubt. Uh, He is the MVP. He's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, when you look at 23 passing touchdowns and two interceptions, he takes care of the football as well as anybody in the entire league. He's probably the smartest runner in the league in terms of knowing – taking what's there, using what's in front of him to his advantage to open up the pass. Uh, he's phenomenal. He really is. And, he, and let's talk about on the other side of the ball, Jadavion Clowney looked like one of the best pass rushers in all of football last night. And I know the sack numbers haven't been there this yep. year, but it's been going on all year where this is why John Schneider gets the praise he gets. You go out and give up nothing for Jadavion Clowney and you replaced Frank Clark, like th- that's what it comes down to. Like that, you replaced Frank Clark, and they have draft capital. And you got draft picks, yeah. I it's Seattle lost the Legion of Boom, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's over." But with the franchise quarterback they have, and they still haven't done a great job building an offensive line in front of no, him. No, they haven't. Through all of this, the running backs, uh, Rashad Penny was forget that being an awful pick. Chris Carson's fumbling a lot, like you said. Lockett, who their, is their best receiver, came out. Russ finds a way to get it done, and this defense, with their leader Bobby Wagner and some ballers up front, it's just truly impressive. I think them and the Ravens are the two teams that nobody wants to run into in the playoffs on yep. each conference. I agree. And and speaking of the defense,
0: like I have to say, Melo's guy Puna Ford was absolutely. It's amazing been a great find for them. Undrafted free agent, or, or maybe he got picked in the seventh round. I, I think he was undrafted, um, but it's just it's been fantastic how good they are. And and I said this in our preseason preview, and then we'll move on. This is the last Seahawks thing I'll say. We were like kind of down on this roster, and one thing I I, I did some easy research. I was like, listen, Russell Wilson's never had a losing season ever. Like think of some of the bad teams he's been on Seattle. They've never had a losing season. So it's like they're probably not going to start having one now. I know I said last year in a tweet, it was like, I wonder if he's a little overrated. I was so wrong about sending that tweet. He's actually underrated. It's like the, the whole script has been flipped. Watching him elevate the talent around him is absolutely amazing. All right, let's move on. Dwayne Haskins named the starter the rest of the way in Washington. I think you can look at this two, two ways. Number one, they feel good enough to let him roll. Again, they're 1-8. and eight. It's not like a great football team. I think this is more of an audition than it's being given credit for. They want to see what they have over the next seven weeks so that they know, because they're going to have the one or two or three overall pick, they need to know if they have a quarterback or if they need to draft one. Because when you're picking that early, and we saw this with Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray – It wasn't just about Oak Cliff Kingsbury's coming in. It was that Steve Kime lost faith in Josh Rosen as his franchise quarterback. So whomever's going to be the head coach of the Redskins next year, and the front office is not going anywhere. That front office needs to know, okay, is Dwayne Haskins our guy, or are we going to let a new head coach pick his own quarterback? And now you have seven weeks, basically, um, well, nine total because the last two, but... Needs a a huge showing, I think, over the next seven weeks for us to be absolutely certain that they're not going to draft a quarterback with a top three pick.
1: Yeah, I think the Redskins turned into one of the most interesting teams in this draft, and it was fun talking to Landon Collins. If you missed that show, it was on our Monday show. He was saying the focus has really been there for Dwayne Haskins. Now that he's locked in as the starter, uh, he's completely obviously bought in and just ready to go. And I think for Washington, you have to wonder – They're going to be staring in the face of an opportunity to probably take someone like Tua or Herbert, and it's going to be interesting. I think they should develop a team around Dwayne Haskins and give him a chance. If you take a guy that raw, like we knew Dwayne Haskins wasn't a top 15 kind of player, but he had promise if you develop him. This is not how you develop a guy, but it makes for an interesting scenario where they might be looking at that situation and they're like, hey, we're bad enough, we could take another quarterback.
0: Yeah, and it, it does. It bears watching. And I'm not saying they should give up on Haskins again. I liked him. I, I really felt like he was good for Jay Gruden's scheme. Jay Gruden's out. Dwayne Haskins could be going with him. So it's there's a lot of intrigue around the quarterback position. Kind of let's take a break. We come back. We're going to take a look back at that LSU-Alabama game, but not the names that you've heard all week long. Not so much Joe Burrow, not so much Tua, but the under-the-radar guys whose draft stock went up following one of the greatest games we've seen in college football in a long time. It's time to talk some draft stock following the game of the decade. Alabama LSU, the Tigers pull off the upset on the road. A great game. And like we've always said on this show, you want to evaluate the best against the best. This game had 28 players on my 2020 draft board on the field. So this is one I've already rewatched. Yeah, it. I don't know if nice. you've had a chance to yet, Connor, but it's like we're going to see this game a lot over the next five months. Uh, I want to start with a player that really surprised me. And maybe shouldn't have, but I'm such a big fan of running back Najee Harris, who, like, yep. we've heard about Najee since he was in high school. I and mean, this is a top-tier running back coming out of a prep school, and he's finally the guy, and we're seeing it. And his that catch he made, the back shoulder fade that he ran, not only was the throw amazing, but the catch, the body adjustment to turn his body, find the ball, locate it, catch it with his hands. And he runs with power, he runs with speed. I don't know if he can get into the first round just because there's it's hard to get a running back in the first round in this day and age. We saw Josh Jacobs drop to the end of round one last year, even though he was a top-five player for me. With Najee Harris, I think he'll be drafted in around two, and I think he'll be an NFL starter and could be a high-caliber NFL starter at the same time because he does everything you want. I mean, he's he's big. He's fast. We saw the hands, the route running.
1: And he's, I'm with he's you really all the way got the total on package. Najee Harris. I think it was also great to see him really mix it up in pass protection He checks every single box you'd want from him. And when he was coming out of the Bay Area as a five-star prospect, he was a huge deal. It was him and Cam Akers. That was the 1A, 1B of that class. And for Najee, and he admitted this after his freshman year, he was very frustrated with his lack of touches. And I think he had to wait because he's behind NFL players nonstop. And now you see him in this feature role in his third season with the team, and he's phenomenal. His receiving ability is great. His power, he's more elusive than you'd expect for somebody that's 6'2", 230. He really I is. I think you just love his demeanor on the field. I love Najee Harris. He might honestly be a top three running back in this class. I, I could sit here and tell you that, and nobody wants to hear this probably, he might be as good as Jonathan Taylor in terms of pro prospect. Not college player. You're not like you're not wrong. Yeah. No, you're not wrong.
0: And I think he and J.K. Dobbins have moved up so much for me this year because you're seeing them do everything they're supposed to do as prospects. Like they're they're doing it all. And Alabama's O line did not play well Saturday afternoon, by the way. So you can't expect, like, oh, well, he plays behind Alabama's offensive line. Those guys really did not play that well. So I think. Najee Harris is shooting way up my board. I I have him as the number four running back, but I would not be surprised if he's number three or number two when it's all said and done. He's just played that well. Now, on the other side of the field, a running back who we've talked about a lot on this show Clyde, I call him Clyde the Glide, Clyde Edwards Alaire, number 22, (laughs) a little bowling ball for LSU. But my goodness, what a player! Like, so much heart. I mean, and he was showing agility, he was showing power. We were sitting there watching the second half of the game, and I, I told Mello and, and Big Tex, I was like, guys, this is Maurice Jones-Drew. Like, that's who he reminds me of. And one of them shot back, like, nah, no, it's Devonta Freeman. He's like, Maurice <laughs> yeah, well, okay, right? agree really good. Like, whatever the comp is, he's really good. And we're talking to Jacob Hester before we recorded on Saturday. We're just talking about how guys like that, when you're a short running back, how hard it can be to locate a guy like that behind the line of scrimmage. And you see it with Clyde because he is. Not only is he seven, he runs low to the ground. And like we said with Kyler Murray last year, short guys have a small strike zone. When you're a tackler, they're just hard to get a hat on. And I think we're seeing that with him. And then when you do get a hat on him, he's so powerful with that, you know, what's it, 220 pound frame that he's really, really difficult to, to get past 210, excuse me, 5'8, 210. So I like Clyde. He's probably going to be a mid-round pick because he's not not the biggest dude, but he's a guy I could see having a nice NFL career even though he's he not going to be a priority selection against
1: Alabama. When you when he sets guys up whether it's the spin move, whether it's the power and the leg drive, and like you said, Matt, those compact guys that are 5'8 and have thick legs for that leg drive that can really carry you down the field. Those are the hardest guys to tackle. And it's funny, we talk about Najee, who's 6'2 and a little more upright in his power, and then someone like Clyde, who's very compact, and both are such great players with different running styles. This was a fun one to watch. I think nobody's draft stock is soaring higher this week than Clyde the Glide because he wasn't really on the radar in the top backs of this class. Now it seems like the floor seems like the third round for him when you look at the skill set, what he could do against top competition. It's great to see a, a local a Louisiana kid star for LSU in one of their biggest wins of the decade, and, and somebody that was overlooked. He was you know, either a three- or four-star prospect, depending what site rankings you use, and, and he was a star on Saturday.
0: Another guy who has been a star all year, Devonta Smith, and I have to admit that I was I was too low on this dude. He is a, he's a playmaker. When the first couple of times I watched him I was like, man, he's just so skinny, he's so little. And it, it felt like especially where he had the four touchdown game, it was like, okay, well, everyone's worried about Judy. So I don't know if Smith is actually a playmaker in his own right. Well, LSU actually has the dudes to put a body on everyone. And, and a good body on everyone. And Devonta Smith worked, guys. I mean, one of our favorite players in college football, Derek Steenley Jr., who's a true freshman, yeah, was, he looked awful. And that was Devonta Smith setting him up, setting him up with his routes. He had the huge uh, punt return. And this dude's just, he's a playmaker. Get the ball in his hands. You heard during the broadcast, they talked about how he has the best hands of any of these Alabama receivers. And that shows. Jerry Drudy drops two touchdown passes, trying to body catch. Devonta Smith, there's no body catching with this dude. He has a very, very good catch radius, especially for, uh, again, a receiver that's not very big. I think he's listed at 170 pounds, and and that might be soaking wet. He's six one. He is very very lean but I see big playmaking skills from DeVonta Smith where I just I, I would get the ball in his hands. I think we have to talk about him as a round 1 receiver which would put three Alabama receivers
1: who I'm with are all, you draft all the way. In he round should one. be in round 1. When you look at the receivers that have dropped over the years, Terry McLaurin comes to mind. Smith is one of those guys where physically won't really wow you. I do think he has underrated speed. I think he's a 4-4 guy. Maybe even 4-3-9, yep. 4-3-8 kind of range. He's Mr. production. I I, I love I like Henry Ruggs. The 4-2-3 or whatever he's going to run is going to be amazing. He's probably going to be great in an NFL system that attacks the ball, that attacks the field vertically. Smith's a more productive player and it's not even close. He he shows up every single game. He makes tough catches. He's a tough player. I would take him round one and really not look back. I think when you look at this class how congested the wide receiver group is because Judy's going to go round one. C.D. Lamb's going to go round one. Ruggs is going to go round one. T. Higgins might find his way there. It might be one of those situations where he slides out and everybody's calling on day two to trade up for this guy.
0: Yeah, whoever has picked 33, um, the Bengals, yeah, actually they should go. just draft him and pair him with Tyler Boyd if that's the way that it goes because that's, that's easy money. The last one for me, a guy who honestly was not on my radar until this week, Jacoby Stevens. I thought the LSU secondary had a rough night. Yeah, we mentioned Stingley had a rough night. Fulton got hurt. Grant Delpit continues yeah. to refuse to wrap up when he's tackling. But I thought Jacoby Stevens really showed himself as, you know, almost a hybrid guy. A lot of times he was blitzing. It seemed like he was trying to spy Tua. But you could see him pre snap. I mean, he's like frantic, you know, like yelling at guys, getting them set up. The leadership from Jacoby Stevens really, really impressed me. I don't know if he'll come out this year or not. I'm definitely not advocating for him to come out by listing him here. But I was very impressed with his play in a game where I wanted to see more from Grant Delpit, and I ended up more impressed with Jacob Phillips at linebacker and Jacoby Stevens
1: at safety. Than I came away with very similar impressions. Be. I think Stevens just looked like the less flashy and safer, you know, tough football player aspect than Delpit. When you see Delpit in pads, and you know his ability in coverage. You know his ability as a blitzer coming downhill. He's just missing some tackles right now, and I think that's the most important thing for his safety is that reliability on the back end. So for Stevens in a game where, let's be honest, Matt, the back ends of these defenses were, were targeted and pressured nonstop, for somebody that could play up front or on the back yep. end, it was a very, very impressive performance.
0: Yeah, it really was. Uh, just a great game overall, like I said. We're going to be breaking it down uh, on our own. Uh, a I will probably have to watch this game. No joke, 12 times. Like 12 times just to get through it all by the end of the year. Let's take a break. We come back fixing the New York Giants, get something to drink, uh, take your shoes off because it's going to be a long segment trying to fix this team. Dave Gettleman has a big, big job ahead of him and lucky for him, he has to stick to football guys to actually just do his (laughs) job. So Dave, listen up, take notes because we are going to fix your team a projected $66 million in salary cap space. That's big. And right now, seven picks in the NFL draft. That will fluctuate a little bit um, I believe with the Leonard Williams deal. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But as far as free agency goes, Connor, um, who the head coach is matters a lot. Who the GM matters a lot. So actually, if the Mara family were to ask me what to do with this team, I would fire them both. Dave Gettleman, see ya. I know there's like, you know, some loyalty there and it's nostalgic. I would fire Dave Gettleman. I would fire Pat Shermer. And I know we've said his name a lot, but I firmly believe it. Matt Rule would be really, really he high on out. my list of people to get. He's worked for this team. He knows the area. We've talked about instilling a culture, um, bringing in leadership. Maybe not the most exciting X's and O's guy out there. He's not Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, but I think a really good coach, like a football coach, who could bring in a good staff, whether that's reaching out to Todd Monken or reaching out to you know guys in the college game that we could see him bring over. So I think Matt Rule and again, this is going to be a very, very interesting name because there's going to be Matt Campbell's going to get talk, Lincoln Riley's going to get talk. I think Matt Rule's the college coach most likely to make the jump.
1: I think so, too. I think there's all kinds of rumors floating around whether, you know, Adam Gase survives in New York, whether Pat Shermer survives in New York. After Shermer took the loss to the Jets, the heat is on him more than ever. Matt Rule has worked for the Giants before. I think it's... I think it's a hire that makes a ton of sense. I really do. Now, the question is, are the Giants going to take that kind of what they consider a risk, I guess, is what you could say. Because the Giants are not a team, I think, that this is the kind of hire they often make, where they're going to reach down into a program like Baylor and hire the college guy. That would surprise me. But I think this is the time to do it. I think it would be great for the Giants. I think Matt Rule would go there in a second. Matt Rule is from Queens. Matt Rule, like I said, is coach for the Giants. Matt Rule wanted the Jets' job last year. He would definitely want the Giants' job this year. I think when it comes down to it, that's where this conversation starts. Now, I know the dream for a lot of people is Lincoln Riley. I still would be shocked if he went to New York. One name that's been tied to this team that I would not like at all would be Brian Kelly. If anything happened with him at Notre Dame, I think that wouldn't be smart. The Giants are an interesting team. Would they go for somebody like Robert Salah? You know what I mean? Like, when you look at Salah, like, from the 49ers right now, that defense is getting a lot of praise, and that falls back on the defensive coordinator where somebody like Salah is going to get interviews. I don't think they would go for someone like very young like Mike McDaniel. I don't think that's the kind of job for him, although I think he's more than ready. So for the Giants, that's where this decision starts, is what do they do with this head coach? But they have to move on from Pat Shermer.
0: Right, and you can look at the list, because they actually announced a list of candidates last time around, and Josh McDaniels was, I think, kind of the front runner for this job back in the day, or back in 2018. So I would wonder if Josh McDaniels' name gets thrown back in. It's been assumed that he is like the head coach in waiting with the New England Patriots, so I think you have to factor all that in. You know, they they interviewed Matt Patricia. He's gone. Steve Wilkes was another guy who had a really good relationship with Dave Gettleman. I don't think Steve Wilkes has done anything since 2018 to be considered a head coaching candidate. Same for Eric Studesville, who was with the Broncos. There's just Jim Schwartz. His name's going to be out there a lot. So those are the two where you could see, like, okay, maybe Schwartz, maybe McDaniels, but. Matt Rule makes a ton of sense. Like you said, uh, Salah and McDaniel from San Francisco are going to get a ton of calls. McDaniel is is young, a little bit inexperienced. I don't know if the Giants will go that route. Someone will and should, but
1: finding the right head coach is, is the first step here. Now, as far as free well, agents go, hold on, the Giants man. have— Are we going to talk wait. about if Dave Gettleman deserves to be that have that job or not? Oh, he doesn't deserve to at all. Giants I, sorry, fans. sorry, I thought that was just See, that's assumed. the problem here, is that I agree. I came into doing this fixing segment, and I was like, we have to fix this team with the thought that Dave Gettleman's not going anywhere. Because I don't think he is. But Giants fans, and I, I love how many we heard back from when we announced we were doing this, were like, you need to start with firing him. And I want to let them know that we agree with them. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Clearly. And, you know...
0: I don't think he would take it, and I, I haven't asked him if he would be okay with me saying this, so here it goes. Uh, forgiveness is better than permission. I would call it Daniel Jeremiah, and I know a lot of people think, that like, oh, these TV guys. Are just... Daniel Jeremiah is not a TV guy. He was a scout for three yes, teams. a high-level like scout. A, a high-level one. <laughs> right, like, not even a scout. He was a director yes. of college scouting. And, like, listen, the job that Mayock's doing is very, very admirable. He's doing a really good job. And DJ has more scouting and more organizational executive experience than Mike Mayock. There's a reason Joe Douglas wanted him. There's a reason a lot of teams have wanted him. So I don't know if he'd be willing to move from the West Coast to the East Coast, but the Giants are like that's a prestige job. Like, listen, I would take the Giants job if they wanted to hire my dumbass. Like, there's just this. That's one of the jobs you can't say no to. So obviously, you know, like Ed Dodds is going to get a lot of play. Mike Berganzi is going to get a lot of play. I think DJ would be up there. Elliot Wolf's name a couple years ago was like red hot. I think that that has really started to die down to where when he was in Green Bay, it was like, oh, he's one of the hottest young names in football. I don't really think it is anymore. So if it were me, if I had to put my name on three dudes, Daniel Jeremiah would be at the top of my list. Ed Dodds would be second. I think Mike Borgonz, was with the Chiefs, would be third. And there's, you know, there's others out there, there's a couple dudes in Seattle who are really good, and they've interviewed yeah, for jobs. You know, Fitterer yep. almost got the Jets job. So, like, there are good scouts
1: out there, good directors out there. But I'm telling you, Daniel Jeremiah would be at the top of my list. I can't disagree with that. I just wanted to talk about this GM conversation because it's one that needs to, it needs to happen. We have to have a yeah. conversation about it. it- uh, yeah, and my bad. I thought
0: it was just assumed. So, moving on to the guys who are actually free agents. Leonard Williams, obviously, um, whoever the the GM is has a decision to make here if they want to sign him. Because if they don't sign him, um, the draft pick compensation changes. Marcus Golden, who has had some he good playing spots, Mike Rimmers, and then David Mayo. Those are like the key free agents. That's it. So, not a lot of key free agents on this team. Some of that is because they haven't drafted that well. So, like they're not they're not really trying to hold on to guys. I would keep Leonard Williams though, and not because I'm a huge Leonard Williams fan as far as what he's done in the NFL, but because you gave up picks to get him, you gave up a third round pick for a guy. I
1: think you have to resign him. I'm with you as well. I don't really understand this trade because I, for all the times we don't like what the Giants do, I actually like their interior defensive line a lot, and, right. and I think with Leonard Williams, uh, I think he's happy to stay in New York. He's repped by uh, Vayner Sports who are based out of New York, so I think they would like to keep him here, and I think it's going to cost a decent amount of money. I think that's the problem, and I think it goes back to something that I had a huge problem with is, and I know we just talked to him, so it might seem a little biased, but we felt like this before it. I still don't know why this team didn't franchise Tag Landon Collins with the money they have, the lack of players they need to re-sign. You didn't have to give him what the Redskins gave him, but I don't really know why why they just let him go. I, I really can't explain it, and that goes back to another reason why I don't know why Gettleman's here. But let's stick to the let's stick to the fixing here. I think they do have to re-sign Leonard Williams. You gave up a third-round pick that is now going to be a top of the third-round pick for the New York right. Jets. You gave up a fifth-round pick that will turn into a fourth if you do re-sign him before free agency, which they probably will. I still think Leonard Williams is very young and can be impactful and something we're going to get to when we do the mock draft, which I lied to you, Matt. I didn't end up doing a mock draft. They need to solve the edge (laughs) pass rushing group, and that might help Leonard Williams on the interior a little bit.
0: Yep, they absolutely do. And it is tough with, with their lack of picks to get an edge rusher because they have so many other needs. So when it goes to free agency... I think I had three names. Somehow one got deleted from the rundown. I would throw a lot of money at Yannick Ngakwe. And I know like they've, in the past, like, oh, we'll get Olivier Vernon. And that didn't really work out. I think some of that was scheme as well as anything else, Like as it changed. Yannick Ngakwe is going to be one of the best pass rushers on the market. I don't feel like this is a team that's going to get a Jadamian Clowney. He's probably going to stay in Seattle. I don't think that Von Miller is going to come up and, and actually be a free agent. Yannick Ngakwe is someone. Do you have $66 million? That's where most of my money is going to go. So sign Leonard Williams, sign Yannick Gakwe, That's going to help on the edges a ton. Now, two other names that I would look at that could be low-end or middle-tier free agent signings. Jack Conklin, the Titans decided not to pick up his fifth-year option after he was an all Pros rookie and then struggled for two years. He's actually playing pretty well this year. Healthy, finally, which me. is huge for him. Jack Conklin is a starter at right tackle for the New York Giants. So Mike Rimmers leaves. Just bring in Jack Conklin. I think this is an improvement. He's a young guy. And again, if he's healthy at one point in time, I don't think he deserved it, but he was named an all pro. So pretty good player. And then I would look at Daryl Worley, the corner group in free agency is not expected to be great. And where the giants are drafting, I don't know that they're going to be able to get an impact corner and fill some of their other needs. So I think Daryl Worley, he and Deandre Baker, like that's a good group. And I think Janoris Jenkins is probably gone. So you would have Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, Corey Ballantyne, and then bring in Daryl Worley, that's a group that you can work with at the corner position because you have two safeties who are pretty solid in Antoine Bethea and Jabril Peppers.
1: Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I think that's how you really rebuild it, especially when you look at Conklin, when there was a lot of questions around him. It's clear that it was just injury related. Now... The, the big concern is the Giants tried this before with Nate Solder, and I think they signed damaged goods. But he had what looked like chronic back problems. I don't think Conklin nope. has that kind of issues at this stage of the game. We saw the Giants deal with three holes on the offensive line against the Jets due to injuries, so they do need to add plenty of depth to this unit. It's something that has to be addressed, addressed in free agency. It's something that has to be addressed in the draft. And I think this would be a really promising start for them. You're not trying to build Rome in a day here. Now, for all of the problems Pat Shermer has had, I actually think a lot of the play calling has tailored to Daniel Jones' strengths, where it's helped him develop, where if you get some of these pieces in place, it gives him a much better chance to succeed. But let's get some more pieces, Matt. It's time to do our mock drafts.
0: Yeah, and it's tough because they like said, where they pick, they have seven selections right now, and currently, I actually want to make sure this didn't change based on last night because I did my my mock draft yesterday. Currently, they would pick number three overall, so that has not changed. We can safely assume the Bengals are taking a quarterback, and the Redskins are taking Chase Young. So I'm not putting Chase Young here, even <laughs> though he would obviously be the pick. Like, duh, that's the pick. So I think they would have a conversation at this point about Jerry Judy and about Jeff Akuda. What's it going to be? Do you want a top flight wide receiver who looks like the guy you just traded to the Cleveland Browns and Odell Beckham, or do you want a corner who is going to end up one of the highest ranked corners that I've seen in the last 10 years? I don't know who the GM will be. I don't know who the head coach will be, but I believe this will come down to they need to help Daniel Jones. Sterling Shepard's concussion situation is terrifying. I don't know that you can count on him being a fixture of this team moving forward. Evan Ingram hurt often. They need assets in the passing game I think that's why you go Jerry Judy here over Jeff Okuda, who I really, really like. But Judy is the number 3 player on my big board. I think he makes too much sense for the Giants.
1: Yeah, I can't disagree with that pick. In this scenario, I can't. Now, for the Giants, here's what you want. You want to keep losing, and you want to get Chase Young. And yes, that is stating the obvious here, but you want whoever's picking one and two to take quarterbacks, and Chase Young falls right into your lap because that's the quickest way That's basically your Nick Bosa scenario where I'm not saying you'd be the 49ers next year because you don't have Kyle Shanahan. Sorry. But when it comes down to it, Chase Young can impact a football team next year like Nick Bosa has impacted the 49ers this year where that's the dream pick at number one. But I do agree with Matt's fallback option. I think Jerry Judy is good enough to be the number one wide receiver for Daniel Jones with a third overall pick.
0: At pick number 35 overall, we address the right tackle spot in free agency. I think they have to address the left tackle spot in the NFL draft. Now, a lot of people are going to be saying, why not an edge rusher? Remember, I went Yannick Ngakwe in free agency. If they can't get an edge rusher uh, through free agency, then yeah, you would consider a guy here. But I'm going to go offensive tackle, left tackle, Austin Jackson at USC. He's a little young and a little raw, but the size is there, the athleticism is there, the quickness is there. I think one of the only concerns is inside power, and that can be developed. The, the Giants also have two pretty good offensive guards, so I'm not as worried about that inside shoulder with him. I think Austin Jackson, just a junior, so maybe he doesn't come out. I think mean, if he does come out, he's going to end up in the top 40 picks based on not just potential, but his readiness. It's rare to see an athletic left tackle with a mean streak, and he definitely has that.
1: Yeah, he really does. I think we've been talking about him a lot these last two weeks as some something of a riser a little bit and just the tools that he has. Now, I went with the offensive line as well, and somebody that we saw on Saturday here and somebody we've watched over these last two years, Jedrick Wills. I, I think he's mean. I think he's nasty. I think the play experience he has from being on Alabama in the SEC is something that the Giants, especially with Gettleman, would highly, highly value. I think the key here is – the Giants have what you would consider still holes on this offensive line, and specifically, probably right tackle for next year. I think Wills could be a plug-and-play right tackle that would really open up what they want to do, and that's run the ball with Saquon Barkley.
0: Yep, I, I really like Wills. I thought he actually played better than Alex Leatherwood, who disappointed yeah he did me a Leatherwood had bit. a tough game. Did uh, Caleb on Von Chason did not have a tough game. He had a really no. good game. <laughs> Round four, pick 99, and this would be a Dave Gettleman pick. It's actually something I would do as well. I think the linebacker core needs an upgrade to the point where like when the Giants were picking fifth and sixth, I really liked them as a spot for Isaiah Simmons. But here's a name that we have not talked about enough. Chaz Surratt at North Carolina. He has been on fire this year. His production is outstanding. He can play middle linebacker, whether they're sticking to this 3-4 they're in now or they go to a 4-3. He's a redshirt junior, and he's not the biggest dude. One thing I like about him, he's not going to have to leave the field in nickel situations. So, yeah, he's a little bit undersized. He's probably going to be flagged as a hybrid by some people. But I like his play in the middle of the field. Let him roam. Let him drop into zones. Let him chase the quarterback a little bit. He's shown for the Tar Heels this year. Just amazing production in all three phases of the game for a linebacker. So, not not a priority pick, but a top 100 guy for me.
1: I really like that pick. I I struggled to find a linebacker with the draft picks they had, and this is why I kind of wish they still had that third-round pick because that's the sweet spot where you might be able to find a gem at the uh, off-ball linebacker position. I just couldn't do it. In the fourth round here, I kind of took a BPA approach. I took Keyshawn Vaughn because, yes, when Saquon Barkley's hurt, they need something better at the running back position. But I think you can play Vaughn with Saquon as a pass-catching, home-run-hitting kind of running back that could probably find his way on special teams as well. The Giants can't be in a position where when Saquon goes down, the offense goes down, and I think later in this trap they should find some insurance with a speedy running back.
0: Yeah, no, I like that pick a lot. Uh, round five, pick 131. I went back to the corner position. Uh, again, even if they gate guys in free agency, Janoris Jenkins is gone. Sam Beal, we liked him as a supplemental draft guy, but he has not flashed much at all. So I'm going to go with Cameron Dancer from Michigan State. Uh, someone who I like his size, 6'2", 185. A redshirt junior, so again, might not come out, but sounds like he's leaning that way. This is one thing that I think they need in the secondary is more size. They need physical guys who can match up you know, with the Alshon Jeffries, someone who can press Terry McLaren at the line of scrimmage, guys who can you know, bang with Amari Cooper. They need more size at the corner position. So I like Cameron Dantzler. I mean, he's gotten worked a little bit this year. It's a bad Michigan State team, which I think makes him a little bit of a tough projection. But 6'2", 185, and, and physical at the line of scrimmage. That's
1: something that I'm going to take a chance on this late in the draft. And they need to. They need more corners. They really, really do, and that's why I went with corner as well. This guy would play in the slot, though. That's Miles Bryant from Washington. He's tough. He's feisty, but like we always say on this show, he's just tiny. He's really a smaller guy, and that's going to cause him to slide, especially if he doesn't run well. But I think he can mix it up for this giant secondary where – You know, we haven't seen a lot of Sam Beal. I actually think he played for the first time this weekend. Janoris Jenkins isn't going to be there anymore. They are really going to have to take some swings at corners. So you went for the guy with length that could play on the outside. I went for the guy that's a little quicker and feistier for the inside. Giants probably need one of each of those. Well, speaking of undersized and quick, that's where I went in round six. Pick
0: 163 with Daryl Taylor from Tennessee. Just picked up a senior bowl. Yeah, so we'll be excited to see him. I like Taylor, and people might be like, oh, this is kind of late for him. He's so Uh, not undersized, he's like 6'4", but he's kind of skinny. Like When I watch him play, it's like, okay, he has a really good first step, but he really doesn't have a whole lot of power. So I like Taylor. He has a chance to impress me at the Senior Bowl, at the Combine. Right now, he looks more like a situational pass rusher, so I think that's why you get him late. But if you're willing to stand him up, and again, he's probably a third-down guy at least to begin with, but maybe can develop, add some strength, and become an every-down player. Round six, you're you you're betting on a trait, basically. His first step trait is good enough for me.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. They did that with O'Shane Zimenez last year. I say keep stacking yep. the deck and getting more pass rushers. And nobody gets sacks in bunches like Daryl Taylor. So if he's on a good Daryl Taylor week in Senior Bowl, nobody will be able to block him. It's going to be hilarious to see. I went with Kendall Coleman from Syracuse, so they take a bit of what would be a local guy here. Coleman had 10 sacks last year, and I thought would be in the conversation as a day-two player in this draft. He just hasn't been there, Matt. It hasn't been there for this defense. The production hasn't been there. Maybe because of the traits people do take him earlier than the sixth round, but two and a half sacks this year, Syracuse just kind of treading water, and I think what's been a disappointing season for their standards and what they expected. But I still think Coleman can play, and in the sixth round, like Daryl Taylor, why not take him and see what he could do to get upfield against the pass?
0: He picked up a senior bowl invite as well, I think. I think I saw that. All right, pick 195, the last one round seven. Uh, I'm going to go safety here, try to build depth in the secondary because I went wide receiver early, and that's a philosophy of mine. You draft a quarterback almost every year. And the year you don't draft a quarterback, like load up on receivers and secondary players because you can get athletes late and those skills translate a lot better than let's draft another offensive lineman. I would always take safeties, corners, receivers late and a quarterback like every other year. So having said that, Jalen Elliott, a safety from Notre Dame, can come in. I I think, number one, he could be a special teams player. That's one thing I love about Notre Dame. You're going to see guys like Jalen Elliott. You're going to see Gilman. You're going to see Chase Claypool. Like They're going to play special teams, so I know he's ready there. Really good size at 6'1", 208. This is a really good backup to Jabril Peppers type guy who, again, can maybe be a third or fourth safety, but can definitely help on special teams.
1: Yeah, and I went with that theory of yours to take these kind of players late only on the wide receiver end. Antonio Gandy-Golden, he feels like he's been the small school golden child this year coming out of Liberty. But he's built like an NFL player. 6'4", 220. I actually think he'll run well for that size. The production's been great. We're going to know a lot about this guy after the Senior Bowl, because I want to see him get off the line. I want to see him in one-on-ones against these cornerbacks that will be in the NFL. That's the time where you go and show, hey, I shouldn't have been playing at Liberty. I should have been playing in the SEC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. Big 12 where he'd have 3,000 yards every year, it doesn't matter. So right. I think when you look at Gandy Golden, and the Giants have done a nice job with late-round wide receivers. I think Darius Slayton has been a phenomenal find for yep. them this year. Keep stacking the deck and see what else you could find. Yep. Going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's take a break. Last one of the show. We come back. It is draft on draft time.
0: It is draft on draft time. We got four great ones today, starting with our guy Robert with two B's. I'm trying to grade slash rank players on my big board. Does it ever happen that a player with a lower grade ranks higher than a player with a higher grade just based on positional value? So, for me, no. Um, Like, top players, top player. The only way positional value comes in is if there's a tie. So, Say on like the this scouting um grade scale that I use, like say there are guys who are both seven point well the positional value or the player I feel better about is gonna be higher, so I only shuffle guys with the same grade like tiebreakers are sometimes positional value for me if that I hope that makes sense it does in my head
1: it makes a lot of sense. I think the way Robert with two B's is framing this question is more of how a decision maker would frame it where teams would make a board and it goes by player grade, but they will draft a player with a lower grade plenty of times that's available because they need the position need. Yep. The coaches like the player better, but for us strictly as evaluators, I don't do that. Like I, I have running backs in my top 30 every year. I was just looking back at the class from two years ago because I wanted to see where I had guys like Lamar Jackson and Ronald Jones and I, I think I had Ronald Jones is like a top 32 player, and it's like no team. You know what I mean? Like, at, what are the right. chances Ronald Jones was going in the first round is kind of the point. So it's, grades are just so different than positional value and how you would draft a player and all that stuff. And it really keeps it simple if you just go by strictly what the grade is.
0: Yep. It, for us, like, again, that's for I think that's where a difference between media and team evaluation is so key. And, like, we could have a conversation about that every show and never run out of material because it's it's so important situation, environment, scheme, all that. So, second question. Garth ask what's your take on Cougars, Washington State Cougars quarterback Anthony Gordon? Will the fact that he couldn't beat out Gardner Minshew hurt him? So, I, I liked this question for a number of reasons. Anthony Gordon's an interesting guy because— yep. Putting up huge numbers for Washington State, as they do. Shocking. <laughs> but also, this idea that a player's not good if he couldn't beat out another player is fascinating to me. I dealt with this over the weekend. People were like, if Joe Burrow were good, he would have beat out Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins threw for 50 touchdowns and was a Heisman finalist as a one-year starter. So, no— It's not So it's not that simple. Not to pile on my guy, Garth. This just is a launching-off point. Number one, also, Joe Burrow got hurt and was also focused on basketball, so Dwayne Haskins was able to win that job. But I don't subscribe to this belief that X player couldn't beat out Y player so they're not good because there's a lot that goes into that. Gardner Minshew was a player that – Washington State was the only school that really offered him a chance to play. I'm sure Mike Leach loved him. Also, like Gardner's leadership skills are going to keep a lot of really good players on the bench. Having said all that, I think Anthony Gordon's a late-round pick at best. He's like 185 pounds. He's just not a very big guy. He's skinny. I think you have to throw out a lot of what they do in that scheme. And as a redshirt senior, like you're going to have one year of tape, and unless he has those incredible you know, intangibles
1: that Minshew has, then it's going to be hard for me to get excited about him. Yeah, I think that, that was the difference in Minshew. Honestly, without his intangibles, I don't think Minshew would have been drafted. And you could sit and look back on it and be like, well, everyone missed then. Because they did. Minshew has outperformed expectations already by out. a mile. There's not a lot of Gardner Minshews in the world. Just like there's not a lot of Dak Prescotts in the world, not a lot of Russell Wilsons, not a lot of Tom Brady. So when it comes down to it, uh, do I think Gordon is one of those guys? Right now I don't have him as one. Do I think he could get drafted? Sure, he, he probably can. I just think you have to ask, uh, what is his ability physically? And what hides him in this system, because this system is notorious for putting up, you know, mediocre uh, talents or guys with mediocre traits put up really, really soaring kind of numbers. One thing
0: that we have changed with Draft 400 this year, um, like organizing our thoughts, the first question we ask about every player is what's his best trait? What's his elite trait? What What does he do well? Start there for me. Don't let's not even get into like size and all that other stuff. Like, what does he do well? And if you can't answer that question about a guy, you're in trouble. Why are we talking about him? And I think what so with Gordon, with Anthony Gordon, what's his elite trait? I don't have it right now. I don't. I don't either. So uh, you're going to hear that a lot over the next five months. You're going to get tired of it. But my scouting philosophy right now, and it sucks because this is actually how I was taught to scout and I got away from it. Is what does he do well? What's he great at? There we go. That's where the conversation starts, not how does he project to the NFL scheme? What does he do that's pro style? Nope, nope. What does he do well? So Mello is going to get so tired of me asking him that question. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> All right, stick to football, the Ocho. I think this is a fan account. I still am not sure if it's a troll or a fan. I'm going to go a fan. How do Joe Burrow and Tua stack up against the 2017, 2018, and 2019 quarterback prospects? This is a tough question because I am not ready to put a number grade on those guys yet. It also like this requires a ton of hindsight where we go back and say like, okay, I had Trubisky and Deshaun Watson tied. I had Trubisky's QB one, but their grade numbers tied. And then I had Mahomes uh, right below that. So it's like, okay, based on those grades for the league, obviously, I like these guys better in terms of a number grade. But once you factor in like how you were wrong about those guys, it really becomes difficult. So I did not love the 2017 quarterback class. I didn't have anyone ranked in the top 10. I don't think I had anyone in the top 15 even. 2018, I liked Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. I like Josh Rosen. I like Baker. So I had all four of those guys in the top 12. So it it just it it gets tough. Um, really, I think tough. on number grade, Burrow will probably be similar to Sam Darnold would be my guess.
1: Okay, that's high. That's very high. Yeah,
0: and then last year, like, I didn't like anyone last year. My top quarterback last year was Kyler at 13 overall, so I guess I kind of liked him. But, yeah. Yeah, I would guess Burrow will be right around where Sam Darnold was, and Tua, Tua's injuries just, they scare me so much. Yeah,
1: they're scary. Um, I. So we'll see there. I don't think I'll have either of them graded higher than I had Watson and Kyler. So I had Kyler fourth overall last year which is extremely high high. extremely high watson was my qb1 i don't know where i had him on the big board uh i had rosen and baker very high i had them as top 10 prospects that year i had lamar jackson a couple spots over darnold but i liked both of them enough where they were top 25 prospects so i think burrow And Tua will lean somewhere in the middle of those guys. Where I don't think I'll have them higher than Watson, Kyler, Rosen, Baker, maybe right around there. It's like I don't. I'm the first and foremost to say I don't think Burrow and Tua are necessarily special. And when I say that, I mean I don't think they're elite quarterback prospects. Like you can find flaws in both of them. Yeah, but. I think they're good quarterback prospects. And similar to the last couple of years where Kyler, Watson, Rosen, Baker, those guys were all on my top tens, I think Tua and Burrow will both finish in my top tens. So it's it's very like it's, it's a standard year in my eyes. Like they're they're not luck. We always go back to luck right. where like everybody looked at Andrew Luck and they were like, he's gonna be great. And if you don't think so, yeah. you're an idiot. And <laughs> he was. When he played, he was yeah. great. He was absolutely great. So it's interesting. It's very interesting. I think it's hard to answer this question though, Matt, for me, without having actual number grades on them right now.
0: Yeah, and I'll say I think our number grading scale is changing this year for Draft 400, so I know that's going to throw a bit of a bump in the road as far as historical comparisons go, so that that is going to make it tough, but it's trying to evolve, like I've been doing this job ten years, you still trying to get better at it, right? So, trying to to make things better for us, better for the readers, better for the listeners, everything. All right, Alex Curtis, longtime listener, first time caller. I know you guys like to talk traits, but does Fromm's lack of production this year worry anyone in the scouting community?
1: Yes. Yeah, there are a it lot does. of things. With,
0: that's why I pause. There are a lot of things with From that worry me. And this is a, a part of a bigger conversation we can have about like environment is going to matter for Jake from like where he goes and what he's asked to do. It's going to really dictate whether or not he's a good NFL quarterback. I, I think he's a round two guy who, if he were bigger or had a bigger arm or had better production, you could bump him to round one, but like, I'm going to keep him around two If he comes out this year for what, like what I was saying before, what's his elite trait, his elite, like his best trait might be his toughness. Like his second, it was probably accuracy, but like, yeah, the production bothers me a little bit. I think some of that's also just that offense. Like it's just not, you know, this isn't the big 12 where guys are throwing for 700 yards a week. But I, yeah, I think that with Fromm, you could definitely say like, all right, we would love to see you take over a game, dude. And just, you know, have your Deshaun Watson moment or your Lamar Jackson moment or, you know, hell, even like. Joe Burrow had one Saturday. Tua has had them. Trevor Lawrence has had them. Like, what's Jake Fromm's signature game where you tell me, hey, go watch him play, and you're going to think this dude's an NFL quarterback. I don't know what game that is. And like I said, this year, only 13 touchdowns. You know, some of that is all the players he lost last year to the draft. Obviously, he's having an effect. But I think it's a legitimate concern.
1: I think it is. I think if you're looking for the game where he makes plenty of NFL throws, I thought there was a lot, and they were really incompletions because of drops and stuff against Notre Dame this year. Now, if you want to make the argument for Jake Fromm, you could go back and say, well, his system holds him back. Joe Burrow's system really held him back last year. Last year, absolutely. And Joe Burrow, in this new system with Joe Brady, has been phenomenal. And I'm not saying if Jake Fromm... Stayed and transferred to LSU and played in that system, he would have the year Joe Burrow's having. But I think he could. Yeah. I think there's a chance. I, I don't think Jake Fromm is this overwhelmingly physically impressive quarterback, but I think he's brilliant and I think he can make really nice touch throws with accuracy and understand where pressure is coming from. That stuff translates to the NFL. So. Are there concerns in the scouting community? Of course. Otherwise, he'd be right in the conversation with Tua and Burrow, and the conversation around him wouldn't be, "Hey, he's going back to school." Right. But I still think there are a lot of things to like about him. We've had this conversation off air before. Uh, I with Jake Fromm, it's like you watch
0: him, and it's like there's like this could be Drew Brees, you know, a smaller, really smart, tough quarterback with touch accuracy, or this could be Andy Dalton, and like I feel like that's the. Trajectory for him, and it will matter where he goes and the targets around him and what he's asked to do. But like he's going to be solid, which is why like I said he's ranked number thirty-six on my board right now. Uh, excuse me, thirty-four because that board needs it needs uh, renumbered. So like, I like Jake Fromm. I don't get that wrong, but I'm not blown away to where if I were the Bengals, I would consider him at number one overall or the Dolphins at number four overall. He feels more like a guy that, like go to the Chargers to replace Philip Rivers. Yeah, go to the Rams. Yeah, right? Yeah. Goodness. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be fun. This quarterback class is is great. It's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. That is our show, though. We will be back Friday morning. Connor, Mello, and myself breaking down the upcoming weekend. It's a good college football weekend. It's a good NFL weekend. And we're going to have a fun top five for you guys. So come back Friday morning. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. And don't forget, we are on YouTube as well. So check all that out. And we will talk to you all real soon.